0: Welcome back to Beatseeker. I'm your host Matt McButter. In each episode, we explore the shifting world of music with world-renowned experts and artists to take you deep, deep inside the fascinating and changing world of music technology and music discovery.
1: And I'm your host, Mike Weider, reminding you to subscribe on Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating if you like the episode. You can visit our website at beatseeker.fm where you'll find plenty of rabbit holes with extra content to dive into, guest backgrounds, and even a playlist with music recommendations from each of our guest episodes. Also, Beatseeker swag. You can stay current and talk to us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at BeatseekerPod.
0: And don't forget to check out our show sponsor, Boombox Music League. Compete with your friends and create killer playlists with the Boombox Music League app. Learn more at boomboxsoftware.com. In today's episode, we speak with Matt Borum, who joins us from Boston, Massachusetts. Matt is a musician and a recording engineer with a PhD in sound technology. He's co-founder and CEO of Audible Reality, an immersive audio technology company revolutionizing music engagement through unique and interactive AI-driven 3D audio software.
1: When iTunes launched 20 years ago, the MP3 took over from CDs, and we gained convenience but we've lost audio quality. Now things are about to change. Spotify, Apple, and others are all launching new features to improve audio quality. We sit down with Matt to help educate us on the basics of audio quality and whether these upgrades are worth it. We also talk to Matt about his startup and how they're taking audio to the next level with 3D vibes and other cool features. Matt, welcome to Beatseeker. Hey, thanks for having
2: me. It's a pleasure. Thank you.
1: You know, we're really excited that you could, uh, you could join us today. I can't think of a, a better person to give us a, a deep dive on audio. You know, you've been a, a musician, you've been a recording engineer. You, you now are an entrepreneur running a audio startup. So uh, thanks again for, for joining us. Um, you, you know, so we wanted to have a discussion about the current state of audio technology, you know, there's been a lot of news lately from. Spotify, from Apple and others about new features to improve the listening experience. And we also wanted to chat about your startup, Audible Reality, and where you see the future uh, of audio technology moving. But before we go there, we thought it might be useful to just review, review how we got here. You know, when CDs were introduced in the 80s, you know, one of the, the biggest value propositions was sound quality. You know, CDs sounded great, especially compared to cassettes which they replaced. But, but after we moved to digital downloads and streaming, audio really took a, a step backwards in favor of convenience. It didn't sound as good, but you could get anything you wanted on demand. And it seems like consumers accepted that trade-off of quality versus convenience when moving to streaming. You know, would you, would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. I mean,
2: even so now uh, more than ever.
1: So now, twenty mm-hmm. years later, after iTunes launched, there's been a renewed interest in audio quality. Apple just launched a high res option. Spotify has the Hi Fi audio that they say is coming soon. Like, why do you think all of the sudden interest in in audio quality?
2: Well, uh, to be quite honest, from the insider's perspective, uh, we've spoken with all the DSPs or the you know the streaming services for for years now, and for a long time. Hi-Fi was like no, nah, nobody cares. We're we're not going to do it. There's not enough. There's not enough of a population that we'll, we think will pay for it. So it's really exciting to finally see that it is hitting them in a way that they're going. Yes, we do believe that this is something fans need. However, the interesting thing is last week it came out uh, that Apple was going to release HD at no extra cost, right? Uh, even spatial audio from Dolby Atmos, no extra cost. Immediately that same morning, Amazon. Took their HD tier, which used to cost more, and put it in their regular Prime uh, category. Um, Title, which has been, you know, charging for HD for years, continues to charge uh, and does well there. And then Spotify, for years, has just kind of said no. Like you know, like you get what you get, and you know, maybe there's like hints of well, we we put out good quality, so here's how you get it or whatever. But They've really been more about the artists and and um, you know the overall uh, attack against radio, really. Uh, I think their biggest challenge is how do you overcome fM radio because that's where everybody listens in their car. So how do you capture? So yeah, it's a really interesting time to see that it's almost if they've run out of things <laughs> to be quite honest, right? It's like what else can we offer? Yeah, what else can we offer? Yeah. right There's no more features that, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: And do you think that you know this will now be table stakes? Like, can Spotify and Title and others kind of hold out to try and charge more? Or do you think Apple's move is going to force everybody to sort of make this baked into the the, the base
2: cost? I for years I never really saw us, uh, my, my own company, which we can get into later, as a, a high def version or an, an additive version, more or less a value add that you should just get as. A subscriber, right? You should just get the ability to do X. Um, so I think that's what we'll see now is there's more demand. It's like, why are we not streaming high quality? That's that's bogus. Uh, if you ignore that, it, we have the bandwidth now. Five G's everywhere. It, just stream a WAV file. Get on with it. Um, I think most people uh, who are listening may not even know that. They may not even know that that's a possibility. Um, so it really, comes down to to cost, you know, bandwidth, you know, availability of this uh, versus that. And and so, yeah, I think right now what we're looking at is kind of a transition where we're accepting that high high def is something people should have, but we're also trying to figure out what is next, like what is the next big thing that's going to uh, to bring people to different platforms. And I think Apple definitely put their foot f- first and just saying, we're not going to charge you, like, come on in and, and get it.
0: Do you think yeah. 5G specifically is one of the, you know, I guess, enabling technologies that has set the DSPs and the streaming providers to start offering this now with now with these you know faster uh, faster network speeds, faster mobile network speeds, people have the capability and the higher bandwidth to have higher quality audio, so that's kind of what Apple had been waiting for, and then everybody has to line up and follow suit.
2: Yeah, I, I can't speak for them personally, but I, I would bet that that's a major factor. Um, accessibility is always number one in any streaming services. You want to make sure that the catalog you have can actually reach the population that you're approaching. And to have some niche market product, um, it just doesn't make any sense for them because they're going after hundreds and hundreds of millions of users and trying to own that market worldwide. Um, I mean, there's over a billion listeners in the world. Um, and, and so how do you capture that? And you got to think the world is a big place. It's not America. It doesn't have 5G. Uh, where does doing high def make sense versus not? And if somebody's streaming off of the lowest quality uh, bandwidth simply because they don't have the tower to get the highest speed internet um, or data to them, you know, you have to consider those things. You don't want to put out a product that makes the rest of the world crash just so that, you know we have a few people in high def. So I think that they've definitely been thinking about that and, and had to have thought that as a factor. The other thing is, do they have the content in HD? And that's, that's more so in 3d uh, land, you know, like 3d audio is a big new thing. Uh, it's what we do, but it's, it's new content, you know, it's uh, go back to the nineties when surround sound came out and SACD, you know, that didn't really work out so great simply because people didn't have surround sound at home to just sit and listen and the, and the world was transitioning into a, a more mobile type society than before. You know, so yeah, we could make content, but there wasn't really demand for it. And so in, in 3D, it's kind of the same thing. It's like people want it. We're starting to figure out there is demand for it. It is accessible now through headphones and things like that, that, that the rest of the world is using, but it still needs a lot of content. You know, we still need to actually produce it. Um, So all of these things kind of line up across the the streaming platforms is what do we have available, how do we get it to the population, and is it the mass market that really is going to adopt it?
1: So, you know, I was looking at these announcements from Spotify, Apple, and others, and really just trying to understand... What, what are the options available there? And it's actually kind of confusing. Like when you think about TV, it's pretty simple. You know, you have HD or you have 4K. That's not that much. It's their standardization. Whereas in audio, people are all describing these using different terms or CD quality audio, high res audio, HD audio, hi-fi, lossless, all these different descriptors. And it's not necessarily simple for consumers to understand the difference between them all. You know, we don't want to get too deep in the weeds, but I thought it might be useful for you to give listeners a bit of a primer to sort of explain explain some of these things. And maybe the easiest way would be like, well, when we move to CDs, what did we lose? And and then what do these new things add on top of that?
2: Sure. So uh, lucky for the audience, I'm a, I'm a huge historian in audio. I've got next to me, I've got a phonograph from 1906. <laughs> nice. Uh, cool. About se- 70 cylinders to go with it. And they sound terrible but they sound awesome at the same time and and the reason i bring that up is every stage in the recording process along history has been about getting more fidelity right the first recording from edison actually just recording his own voice was just about the pure astonishment of being able to do that actually make a a record right make a recording of a voice and play it back Um, through the years what happened is we went through tape and different mediums it got better and better the noise that was inherent in the recording started to go away. So when you record anything physical, it's going to make that shh, you know, like the the needle on the, the record, it's going to make a noise. So how do you overcome the noise with the signal that you want to record? Um, and so as we got into like the 90s, when when CDs, well, 80s and 90s, when CDs came out, what was happening is we had really high fidelity analog recordings on tape. We had You know, even Dolby, that's where Dolby came from. We had these Dolby noise reduction units, which would take the noise from the recording that was inherent from the recording process and reduce it out of the recording so that you could just hear the pure recording of music. So we were at a really great state in analog. A lot of aficionados and audiophiles love the analog sound for that. But with the CD, what happened is the noise floor went away, like almost completely. And the reason is we could do a thing called dithering And not to get too technical, uh, dithering just means to kind of take out the noise, you know, uh, cancel out noise based on a conversion. So you're converting it from analog to now digital. Digital just means it's computerized, like it's zeros and ones that are making up the signal rather than actual physical uh, devices. And so in that, because you're just looking at data, you can start to pull out the data that doesn't matter. You can do that much easier than you could in analog where it's all the same signal.
1: It can be manipulated a lot easier. There you go,
2: yeah. So, uh, the reason I'm telling you all this is, is that's what really matters is we're after the core recording, you're after the the true response, the um, you know reinterpretation of reality. And with digital, you can do that almost one-to-one. And early on, it was kind of rejected in CDs because it was like, oh, it's too pure. What happened to my noise? What happened to this kind of feeling? Uh, people were people were familiar with this imperfect sound. Exactly, that's that's right. So then we get into MP3s and streaming. Well, what happened there is we had this pure sound now, but it was too big of a file f- to send over the early internet. You know, the early internet speeds were 56k modems. You know, dial up. It, it just didn't have the speed to transfer the amount of data that was necessary for a CD file to go to someone else's uh, computer. So that's when file compression came out. Um, Fraunhofer is the company who had, had started that, still do it today. And what they did is a psychoacoustic compression. What that means is try to take a study of how much they could actually pull away from the sound. So I start with this beautiful picture. How many colors, how many you know, bits can I pull out of that picture before you notice that I've done that? And that's what file compression does, and that's why people hate it, is because it it removes what you recorded, it removes the reality to try to give you this uh, dumbed down version that we can send across the internet so that you don't notice a difference and and we can still make that a product. And so when we made the shift to streaming for accessibility, you could get music everywhere. Obviously fans were excited by that because it was so difficult to go find new music. It's expensive. Now you got it in front of you at the push of a button. But as that went on, we started to realize, hey, what happened to the sound? Like. Why isn't it not as good as my CD? What would happen? And so now we're finally making the transition because the internet speeds are fast enough to send the packets of data that are necessary to create high resolution. So back to that state where we have the purest sound recording without the noise, and there's no file compression. So that's what lossless means, is that we have not actually compressed the sound. We haven't taken any any bits of the information away. It, it's everything that was recorded. Um, and... Anyway, that's uh, that's the story where we're at today, yeah.
1: You know, you hear these two terms, like the bit rate and the sampling frequency. What, what, do that, what does that mean exactly?
2: Um, just in layman's terms, how much information you have per second about the file, right? So if I have a kick drum and then a vocal and a, a saxophone, all happening at the same time, I need to represent the sound waves that make up those sounds. If I don't have enough samples per second, it will start to sound boxy or glitchy, right? So because it's trying to take a snapshot of however many bits of information it can in a certain amount of time. On the bit rate, that that goes along with the sample rate. It's like how many bits am I sending of this package of information per second? And then you have the bit depth. That's how much information can I store in a single processing uh, Word for for a computer language. So if I have this sample rate, which I've just imagine it's a it's a bucket full of apples, right? That bucket is full, but I can only send half of the bit rate out to the world. So I have to squash all that down, or cut off half the uh, half the bucket apples. So I've just lost a ton of information. It doesn't sound the same. So you can kind of think of it like that. It's like a it's a container of information. The more you have of it, the higher sample rate, the higher bit depth. The greater the, the bit rate, all of that factors into representing the purest uh, original sound that you recorded.
0: I like it. I like that analogy that the bucket of apples. That's a good one. <laughs> 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 that simplifies things. So, I, I also, you know, I, I've read that, um, you know, there's a, a certain uh, threshold at which it doesn't really matter anymore, right? Like you're getting more, more apples in there than, uh, than, the, than a human could digest anyway. That's right. That's right. And I, and That's so, right. so what what is that level? I mean, I I we were, I was looking at CDs. Um, CDs seem to generally be CD quality is sixteen bits and forty four point one kilohertz. So forty four thousand samples in a second. Is that right? Is that then? Is that sort of beyond the threshold of what a human can
2: detect anyway? It is, but it's uh, it's also needs to be that high. Uh, for technical reasons. So if we were to take, only, so so let me back up. A human can hear sound uh, in in terms of frequencies. They can hear sound from twenty hertz to about twenty thousand hertz. Now that's the purest you could possibly ever hear. The reality is, uh, you know, I'm I'm nearly forty. Ugh, can't believe I'm saying that. But um, you know, at my age, I've been a musician my whole life. I sat next to the symbol of the drummer. You know, I've lost a lot of hearing. I'm probably you know, at best 14,000 Hertz is the highest I could hear. Um, kids can hear up to like 18,000 Hertz. So you have this range that you can hear. And what that means is that, you know, the high sizzly, you know, uh, high frequency con- content in anything, uh, the breath of a voice, the, the splash of the cymbal, the high, you know, resonance of, a, a violin, that stuff exists up in the 10 to 16 K range. Um, and it's just what we call sizzle. And you know, it's like that added presence that comes into the sound. Most of us can't hear that, to be honest. But it, when it's gone, you do miss the feeling of it. You know, it, Even though you can't really perceive it, you're still physically affected by it because it has overtones or it, it's produced by overtones, right? So you have this other signal that belongs to that down in the range where you can hear. And so why why we actually sample at 44,100 uh samples per second is because of the Nyquist theorem. So what that states is you have to double the audible frequency bandwidth to be able to accurately produce it. And the reason is, it's it's too technical for this call, but, uh, or this talk, but it, it causes something called aliasing. If you filter out sound too low in the frequency spectrum, um, you'll get stuff back in the audible spectrum that you didn't want basically. You'll get these like glitchy sounds. And it's basically due to the electronics, the filtering process, everything. Uh, again, too technical for this, this talk. But what you need to know is that the more that you can sample up, so if I could go to 48,000 or 96,000 hertz uh, or samples per second, now I'm, I'm starting to represent more of the audio spectrum. Yes, it's way above anything I could hear, but as I said, all those overtones that get produced up and in, there's, there's information that's very valuable. Um, and that does help, you know, the listener to actually hear and feel more of the reality of the recording. Now, with that said, having been a professional in audio for about 20 years now, and, you know, going all the way through many professional recordings, teaching students all the way to getting my PhD and doing these studies, I will tell you about 99% of everybody who listens to high res audio, um, won't notice a difference between one high res format and the other, uh, won't notice a difference probably from the highest quality compressed audio. So like MP3 at a high quality versus a lossless at a, a kind of lower quality. So it's really hard to detect it. It's not that we physically can't do it, but it's not that big of a difference. It's a, and, and that's where I wanna, I would love to, Transition into how that happens and, and what that means. Yeah.
1: Maybe before we do, it's interesting is that I don't know if you've seen this. Uh, NPR has this really good post on this subject, and they created um, a little test. And so they have like five different tracks, and then they're recorded in three levels of quality like 128, uh, 300 plus, and then lossless. And so you don't know which is which, you just got to listen and then you see if you choose correct. So I did it myself and I got 50%. And I, I think I was actually guessing most of the time. I honestly couldn't tell the difference, but have you, have you done some, been involved in any kind of studies like this? Like we're actually measuring, but yeah.
2: Yeah. So when I, where I went to get my PhD, it's, it's, if not the only sound recording program in the world, it's one of two, you know, like uh, sound recording PhDs are very rare because it's about the science of engineering and music and audio technology all wrapped in one. You you are a pro audio engineer, but you're doing research for the industry in terms of how to take it forward. And so what we do at McGill is all about perceptual audio analysis. I had a lot of colleagues who actually one of which did a study on MP3 quality uh, detectability of that uh, type of thing. We also do what's called ear training, where we We actually try to match um, the response of a song to another song. So like if I equalize something with high frequency to, to make the vocal a little louder, you know, how did I get there if I didn't even know the tools that were involved? And so we do ear training tasks to try to match that and figure it out. So we do what we would call hyperactive listening. And... I will tell you that in that process, yes, you can hear the difference. You can absolutely hear it because you're tuned into samples. You know, you're you're super precise, but nobody really listens that way. That's the way an audio engineer thinks about sound. But when you consume sound, it's a much more um, you know passive experience for most. There are active listeners. I'm not getting you wrong. I am one, but there most of us listen just passively. We just enjoy the music. We're there for it, whatever. Um, and so when you do that type of thing if you're asking someone like your, yourself to listen and and make that decision, first off, you have to do it very controlled. And And so the NP, NPR thing was awesome, but it, it doesn't really work in the real world of, of research. And the reason is uh, when you do perceptual audio analysis, you have to rule out biases in your response. So when you do something across the internet, who knows what your bandwidth was? So you can't, you can't predict whether or not everybody's listening to the same thing. Who knows what the headphones are.
1: And we have different hardware.
2: Right. Like I was listening on my
1: PC speakers on this test and I tried it again with my earbuds, but you know, that could influence things as well, right?
2: Right. So there's all these factors and you really can't control that. Even how you selected between the tracks, you know, that's not really the the best way, but, but the positive thing here is that there is a right way to do it. And that, that way has been done for a long time. Um, and it's taught us a lot of things, and we're bringing that forward now to the to the industry. And that's why you do see HD actually hitting the market is that the tests have been done. What we have figured out is people do prefer HD over terrible quality, right? It's not that they want to have that like extra little bit of sound quality because that matters so much. What really matters is I don't want to listen to this crappy mp3 anymore and i heard it in hd and it sounds awesome so i'm going to make the switch and and so that's where we're at today is is trying to make a noticeable difference using the power of understanding that hd does matter but it has to be a big enough difference for the consumer to respond to it
0: we'll be back in a moment after this brief commercial break
1: Our episode today is brought to you by Boombox. Boombox is a mobile app where you compete in playlist competitions with your friends. In each round of the game, you and your friends submit a song that matches a theme, like best song to dance to or best song I've heard this year. You then vote on who had the best pick. You can play live on a Zoom call or at a party or play offline over the course of a week.
0: The game is really fun to play, and it automatically produces a new Spotify playlist each round. Use it to crowdsource tunes for your next party, or just to discover fresh tracks with your friends. To find out more, visit boomboxsoftware.com or download the app from the Apple or Google stores. And we're back.
1: Coming back to the question of all these different formats, would it be accurate to say that if you kind of benchmark relative to the CD that streaming kind of made things worse because we had to compress stuff. So we took these bits out or the apples out, as you say. So it, it sounded worse than CDs. Um and then this HD audio, which which people are talking about now, is potentially better than CDs. There's actually more fidelity than the 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 That's previous right. 16-bit version, but it's actual 24. HD or high res 24 bit. So it actually goes beyond what CDs are. That's right. Um is so so is that that's a good representation of it that streaming is worse, then you got CDs, then you got high def.
2: Absolutely. As long as it's at twenty four uh bits, you know, you've got a lot more information. Uh and then high res usually is somewhere anywhere from forty eight K to ninety six K if you're lucky at 192K. Classical, I will say that's where you do notice the difference because you have all that resonance from mm-hmm, the strings right. and, the, and the room sound. So, really, really high def works great on classical. But if you're just talking about a pop record, um, you know, high def will make a difference for you around 96k 24 versus listening to a 1644 one on a CD. That that's kind of where you're at, yeah. And from a hardware standpoint, most people
1: are probably listening to their their audio on their phones, playing Spotify or Apple Music. You know, maybe they have earbuds, uh, AirPods in. Maybe they have wired headphones. But if you want to actually appreciate this uh, greater quality uh, streaming, what's the sort of minimal kind of hardware that you would need to really be able to leverage that?
2: Yeah, the minimal buy-in would would definitely be a good pair of headphones, good good speakers, and and that's again back to the same old story. Like noticing the difference. It's all it's all you know. A beautiful new frontier, but if we don't have the gear <laughs> or the access to it, it's still not going to make a difference. So, um, I would say that you, you'd probably want to be in the two hundred dollar range headphone. Make sure it's a good, good, solid driver over the ear. Something that can reproduce from uh, at least forty hertz up to twenty k. If it's on a loudspeaker system, uh, anything with a you know stereo system at home is great. Uh, cars. That's a great environment for sound. Bluetooth speakers, not so much. I mean, you're not really going to get much out of that. Yeah.
1: And what about Bluetooth um, AirPods? Like, my understanding is that that you can actually stream no. HD over Bluetooth because there's just not enough bandwidth.
2: It comes back to compression again, right? So the amount of data that you can send on a Bluetooth yeah. uh, packet, it's not enough for high res yet.
1: Yeah, because I think Apple was taking some shit last week when <laughs> they made this announcement, hey, we have this amazing new format, it's coming out. And then some reporter figured out that the fancy new headphones, what's the <laughs> the uh, AirPod AirPods, Max or whatever yeah. they cost, like yeah. some huge amount of money, like $700, and they can't even support the new
2: format that they've just come out with of this high-res audio. Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But you know that's that's a great point to bring up, and and um, I can't wait to tell you what we do. You know what our focus is. Yeah, so is. let's but, maybe jump into yeah. that.
1: You know your your company Audible Reality is. You know you're working on a product that lets consumers change or personalize their 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 sound. You know I tried it out. I thought it was super cool. There's these sound filters, or I think you call them vibes, mm-hmm. where you could I. So what I did is I connected my Spotify into your app. And so i was listening to my spotify account but through your app and then i could select these various presets that would modify or change how things sounded but that's right maybe i just take a step back and just let you tell us the story like why did you start this company and you know what's the mission that you're trying a problem you're trying to solve
2: sure and just to address that real quick of, of what it is so our end goal here is it's not about it's not about fidelity differences is about experiential differences. And so that's what drives what we do. And and that's where I see a shortfalling in the industry is, we have the HD, people don't really have the access to listen to the HD. And so how do you make that happen and how do you make that difference? Um, So this came from years of of teaching, actually. Um, I started my career early on as a bachelor student at American University in DC, where I graduated with an audio tech degree and they immediately hired me to run the studios for the program because there's eight students or so when I started it. Uh, it was a defunct program in the basement of a physics building. No funding. I mean, it, but for me, it was like, oh, my God, I can go to school for recording? Are you kidding me. This is amazing. It sounds good, yeah. Yeah, so so I, I learned a lot early on because I was thrown into actually teaching university students how to record You know, as a 22-year-old. I'm running the studios the next year they hire me as an adjunct professor and uh, together with another you know, group of guys there we grew that program from eight students to about 130 160 by the time i left we had built a graduate program i pulled in and managed the two million dollar recording studio facility that we brought um, from Walter Stork, who designed uh, Electric Ladyland in New York, and and thousands of of amazing studios. So I was like, it was my dream to do all that, and luckily American gave me the ability to just kind of play and learn as I went. And throughout the years, what I thought was fascinating is I started as this kid who just learned how to record from you know other engineers. We could never really find people with degrees that were also engineers, you know, engineering was just like, oh, I'm a musician, I'm going to work in the studio. Now I'm an engineer. So it was hard to find even a bachelor's degree uh, holder that knew how to record in a studio. And so I was this kind of initial person who had done both. We brought in some other people who had done similar. And as we grew, we realized, you know, whatever we are teaching, it's so biased from the industry. It's from the mixed magazine article I read last week, or, you know, my love of the Beatles and how, you know, the Beatles were recorded. And so it's all this kind of like, well, this is what they used to do. And this is, this is how we do it. And I just thought, I thought that was kind of bogus because every time I recorded myself, I just did what I did. Like I recorded myself because i played music. And so I just figured out how to record to make it sound good. If I wanted to do something special, I just did it until it sounded good to me and I stopped. And I was fascinated by that. I, why do you choose anything in audio? How does that respond to you uh, in a musical sense, in a technical sense? And then if you're working with other artists, like if somebody comes in and said, hey, I want to sound like Nirvana, what does that even mean? You know, do... Do I need to go and get all the microphones that Nirvana recorded? Do we need to get that space? Do we need to get the same drummer? Or is it just like a style that they have in their mind of what it feels like to be Nirvana? And so that's where the vibe concept really came up. Uh, you know, at that time, I was thinking, man, wouldn't it be great if I could put a Nirvana record in a machine and just spit out like all the controls on the board? I didn't have to do my job. I just start there and then I could, you know, produce from that point. So at McGill, uh, the world kind of opened to me. Uh, I went up there to get a PhD to continue running more programs, and that immediately stopped uh, when I ran into 3D audio. And 3D audio is the idea that you can actually replicate the way your ears process sound uh, in in the whole neural pathway. Like the whole uh, human ability to hear is super special, and it's nothing we hear in stereo. Stereo is just one speaker going in each ear, without any information of reality. And with 3D audio, you can actually bring all that back. You can bring the cues of sound being above your head, behind you, uh, feeling as if they're right in front of you. And so to me, that was an experiential change. And I thought, wow, you can do anything with this medium. Uh, but it's really difficult. And it takes me you know, weeks to set up a good recording because it's so many speakers and so many things to think about. But at the same time, I was also working on why do people react to music? Why do they react to changes that I do as an engineer? And I had a research gig with a company that was doing AI mastering. So using artificial intelligence to try to understand me as an engineer, what would I do with the sound? Like if somebody sent me a file, what would I do with that sound? And so that's really deep because then you have to understand what does the sound even mean uh, to a computer? What does that mean to me? And whatever I would do, how the heck do you replicate that? So the whole vibe concept kind of came full circle right there. It's like, I'm fascinated by this idea that you would ever use a computer to figure out who you are or what you would do. But if you could, that's that's such a assistive tool. And it's so empowering. Like if, if I could do what I do in two hours in just a push of a button, that would save me so much time in the studio. I could do more and more recordings. I could get more artists out. Um, if the fan could do that, that would mean they finally have access to even understand what to do with sound, right? So sound is so uh, exclusive to the engineer, the fan just has always just listened to it. But what if the fan could actually make decisions like an engineer without having to have that education? Just I got right? it.
1: So you're trying to kind of bring the sound recording engineer's tools and tricks and basically give that access to that to the fan so that they could then... Turn off and on these bingo, these capabilities themselves, bingo. and then hear the difference exactly.
2: And so, to wrap the whole story up, the vibe concept came because 3D is so ex- exponentially different than stereo. When I was doing studies on how people perceive sound in three dimensions, I realized that there was a common ground that if you do something right, people react to it, and that something right could be, well. I externalized the sound, it felt like it came out of my head. Uh, or I added some you know, presence to the vocal or something. So the vibe concept was, well, OK, let me see if I can automate that. Could I just give you know, unlimited amount of 3D enhancements to people to listen to music, give them the tool that would be so easy as pushing a button, and then learn from that on the back end and actually try to understand how do people even engage with sound and, and how would they want it to sound? How could they make it better? And so that's what Audible Reality does, is we have a tool that anybody can flip a filter, like an Instagram filter for music. So I'm flipping through, I find the sound that works for me, and I start to engage with that and, and really start to open up the world of sound as I listen to music. And it's really powerful. It's it's increasing the listening time by 150% longer mm. than without. Wow. And it And the reason is we're starting to realize people do this because their devices suck. <laughs> <laughs> they don't have the ability to hear the HD. They don't have the ability to really notice a difference, but when they put the vibe on, the difference is made. And so that's where they're at. They're like, "Oh my god, I, I never heard the vocal like that. I never heard the drums like that. This sounds incredible." And so we've really discovered something pretty powerful here.
0: So so in theory, you could create a um, a Nirvana vibe that would make it sound that w- and then you could apply that to other to other like i could listen to the beatles catalog through the with a nirvana vibe vibe.
2: yeah (laughs) yeah i mean i'm not going to tell you it's going to sound like nirvana that's no that's the that's the thing here is a a nirvana vibe what does it mean well Mm -hmm. um i love hard rock i love grunge i love the 90s yeah you know so so it might
0: grunge the guitar a little bit like it right and yeah
2: and so so that's what we're learning so we actually have machine learning in in the app that's trying to understand how do people listen to music um and what are they doing with the music to make it work for them because that's going to tell us what that even means what is a nirvana vibe you mm-hmm. know um and so we have all these different artists that have already signed on um, teddy riley's uh, a, a great advocate for us um dj Battle Kit, uh dan wilson and Semisonic um, you know, really powerful producers who have their signature sounds and fans are listening to music through them to open up new, new doors and new experiences.
1: So just so, just so we get that. So there's, when, when I look at the app, there's a bunch of presets in there that Mm -hmm. those are the ones you supply defaults with the app. That's right. But then you've gone out and got these other artists or producers to create their own vibes. And, and those those can be added uh, as sort of paid-for vibes to, that I can pay a little bit of extra money to get access to some exclusive
2: ones. That's right. Yeah, they're 99 cents each. Um, we use it as a way to help the artist find some new users and uh, also just have an additive revenue stream. I mean, streaming, we didn't talk about this at all, but streaming is a model that just can't pay artists. I mean, mm-hmm. um, 3% of all the streams go to the top hit makers. That's, I mean... Or it's so. What are you? How are you going to be successful uh, in streaming when ninety-seven pr- uh, percent of the population is like doing under a hundred thousand streams a month? You know, it's just not going to happen. Um, so you're either going to make, you know, in that s- situation, best case scenario for you is you make a thousand bucks a month. Um, maybe you're good enough to make ten thousand a month, but you're probably starting to get into that upper three uh, percent at that point. So what we believe is. This is a new way to find new music. It's a new way to differentiate the artist. It's a way that they could make their old catalog popular again. One of the, the biggest problems of streaming, like any any market, is you have this you know spike in activity, and then it just quickly declines. So the the trend in, in uh, streaming for years has been content, content, content. Just keep pushing it out. And that just floods everything. It gets noisy. How do you find a great song? Um, playlisting then came. So, okay, we'll use some... AI to figure out what music I like and suggest new music to me. But there's so much music out there. Playlisting is not really working as it should. So we just believe this is another tool. Um, it's, not a, it's not the end all be all, but um, it is another tool that will help you discover new music, help you reach your fans as an artist in a new way. And as we hope, you know, develop a new revenue stream that could be substantial for, for a growing artist. That's awesome. You know, so a- Apple has been talking a little bit about this concept of spatial
1: spatial audio. Um, mm-hmm. How does that compare to what you're doing here? Obviously, it's it's a, l- a little bit different. In that it's a sort of generic kind of 3D thing versus some specific artist-generated
2: yeah. filter. So, so with Audible Reality's technology, we are spatial, we are 3D. Uh, again, like high-res, low-res, all that kind of stuff. They're just marketing terms that are getting twisted around the same thing. Right. Uh, So if you hear spatial, immersive, like Sony is immersive, Dolby's spatial, um, we say 3D, Uh, other people might say binaural. These are all just different terms that generally mean the same exact thing, which is this is sound in three dimensions instead of two. Stereo is two dimensions, left and right, um, front and back. And here we are in 3D, we actually bring the, the layer of height. So now you have the full... 360 dimensions of sound represented, we can do everything that a Dolby recording could do or a Sony recording could do. We could put out Audible reality content, um, just the same that they're doing. And so we are. We have a service for artists where you can download our plugin for eight bucks a month. Uh, First month is free, and you can start making content available on any streaming platform Uh, just with Audible Reality. So you produce it like you always do, but now it has that additional 3D sound. Got it. And it goes through through the same two channels you always put out in your stereo mixes and all that. But the thing that makes us special is that you can now go and make alternates as well. You can go back to your stereo content you've already produced, and you can make a vibe for it, or you can make a million vibes for it. And what that means is you're enhancing the stereo or the existing content with 3D spatialization making it sound completely different from what it used to sound like and then using that as a smart tool to figure out how fans engage. So as you and I listen to a Teddy Riley vibe, what we learn on the back end is well how did that respond to you? Did you like that sound on whatever music? Maybe you've been listening to that on country music for some reason. You know, what does that tell Teddy Riley the artist and how could he use that to produce into a new market or, you know, target a specific Subset of users, and so that's where the power is. Is you're not just creating new content, you're creating new ways for people to listen and consume music, and you have a lot of data behind it to you know help you out. That's um, that's super cool, Matt.
1: This is uh, really interesting stuff, and I'd encourage everybody to download the Audible Reality app and and try it yourself because really, this is something you have to hear to uh, to really appreciate. Um so Matt we we have uh, ask a, a common closing question to all our guests like what uh, do you have any music recommendations for for our listeners what are you into lately
2: Well I I bounce around uh, around a lot because of my job I'm you know we we bring on new artists uh, for the vibes and I'm constantly hearing new music which is awesome I love it Um lately I've been listening to Rage Against the Machine though like dreaming dreaming nice. of a comeback yeah. God I miss those guys so much <laughs>
1: I, yeah, well, I was supposed to see them last summer, and mm-hmm. they obviously everything got canceled. But they are slated to come to our city mm. in uh, summer 2022, I guess.
2: Yeah, so so I mean that's the classical or the classic rock uh, now. Like I can't even believe it's classic rock. But no, the new artists that we we have that I, I'm excited about, Um DMAD is an electronic artist. He's been producing uh, with Diplo and um, Jay Balvin, some major names in EDM and uh, electronic and bronze radio return just south of here. And, you know, from Connecticut, uh, really great band that we just recently brought on and, uh, oof, I, yeah, I could keep going, but I, I, yeah. that's good. That's cool. awesome.
1: And if, and when you're hunting for new stuff, where do you, how do you do it? Like, where do you source your, your new music?
2: Well, obviously I'm going to say audible reality. Um, but really I do believe in that, uh, you can share vibes with friends. Uh, so you find a new song. You put a vibe on it, and now you can share that via text or social media so your friends can discover the same experience you had. And that's really opened up a lot of doors for music discoveries. You know, hear this Chris Stapleton track with the bomb vibe. Oh, my God, sounds amazing. Now hear this one. So we found that sharing vibes is really kind of a viral effect and a a great way to find new music. But uh, obviously, every other streaming service that I have available, I check it out, YouTube, et cetera. So
1: if listeners want to know more about your work, what's the best place to find you online?
2: Uh, LinkedIn is probably the the most upkept uh, profile that I have. And yet.
1: then it's audiblereality.com, audible and we'll we'll link to that in the show notes. Yep, that's right. All right. Well, thank you, Matt, so much for being yeah, with us thanks, today. This is a, a great conversation.
2: Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thanks, guys.
0: You've been listening to Beat Seeker with your hosts, Matt McButter and Mike Wider. If you like what you've been hearing... Please like, subscribe, and share this podcast. If you really like it and want more, you'll find bonus content and exclusives on our Patreon. Visit beatseeker.fm, that's B E A T seeker.fm, and on social media at beatseekerpod. And giving us a five star rating on Apple Podcasts helps too. This program was recorded at the Devil Lake Studios and the Tunnel Under Arundel. The program is produced by Matt McButter, Mike Wider, and Kate McCartney. Thanks for tuning in and keep seeking.